Good morning. Welcome once again to Christ Church on this day after Christmas. Merry Christmas once again. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan Miske. I am the youth director here at Christ Church as well as one of the vicars, which is a fancy way we like to say pastor in training around here. Today we're starting a new sermon series that's going to take us two weeks on the book of Malachi. Now Malachi is probably not one of the books that you're most familiar with, and this is what we like to do around here at Christ Church, spend a couple weeks after Christmas looking at one of those smaller books of the Bible, really diving in, really getting to understand the nitty-gritty details about what's happening and see what we can pull out of the text as a result. This week, we're looking at the disputes of Malachi. You can kind of divide Malachi into two major sections, the first of which being those disputes. And we'll get to what those mean in a moment. But first, let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 of Malachi says, The pronouncement of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now, this tells us right away what's happening. God is speaking to his people on behalf of Malachi. If you've heard the word prophet, that's what a prophet is. It is a spokesperson of God. It is someone who speaks on behalf of God to his people. Often, we like to think about prophets as speaking about the future, what is to come, and they certainly do that. Although more often than not, they're actually speaking about what is happening now. So Malachi is speaking to God's people on behalf of God about what is happening right then. And so to understand what's happening then, we have to kind of understand the context of what's going on. The things that were happening in and around the Jewish people at the time that Malachi was prophesying to them. Malachi needs to be read in context, just like all prophets need to be read in their proper context. If you've ever opened a prophet and read through it without really understanding what's happening around it, you may have even read through an entire book of one of the prophets, and you got to the end and you went, what? What is this about? I don't understand it. Trust me, I've been there too. If you don't understand the context, these aren't usually self-contained stories. They're going to be really hard to understand and read. And so we're going to spend a couple minutes here going over the context of Malachi. And Malachi comes to us in the Bible. Right, we know that the Bible is obviously where Malachi is. Of course, we're going to look at something from the Bible. But what is the Bible? The Bible isn't just one book, as we often think of it as. It is a collection of 66 different books written by numerous different authors over the course of thousands of years. You can divide the Bible into two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament taking place starting with the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, and moving forward from there, and the Old Testament being everything that kind of preceded it. And Malachi comes to us as book 39 out of 39 in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament and the whole Bible isn't arranged chronologically, although there is a certain chronologicality to it. If you, look at, if you open to the beginning of the Bible, it's probably going to come before something that you open to in the middle of the Bible. However, this isn't always the case. For example, if you were to read Esther, it comes before the book of Isaiah, precedes it, and yet it takes place hundreds of years after Isaiah. But still, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and that's an intentional choice because it connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. We're going to talk more about that next week. But it's also the last book chronologically. And so to understand where we're at 
in Malachi, we kind of have to understand what happened in the Old Testament. How did the Jewish people get to where they are? And why is God disputing what is happening in this book? We're going to go through Old Testament 101. Get your notes ready. Hope you're ready for the class. Here's the syllabus. These are kind of the 12 major points we're going to hit. Obviously, there's much more in the Bible. There's much more in the Old Testament, many more stories I'm sure you've heard, you've read, you love. We're going to hit these 12 points because these help us understand what's happening in Malachi best. In the beginning, God created the world. I'm sure you've heard it. There was creation, right? He created stuff on the first day and it was good. And the second day and it was good. On the third day, it was good. On the fourth day, of course, it was good. The fifth day, more stuff, still good. And the sixth day, he creates humans. He sends this us into the world to have dominion over the earth, to take care of it, to be in charge, to name the animals. And at the end of the sixth day, he looks upon all he's made and he saw that it was very good. Creation was perfect. But if you know the story of the Bible, you probably know it didn't stay that way long. No, the fall occurs. God created him, Adam and Eve. He chose them and it sent them into the garden to take care of it, to have dominion there too, to name the animals, to do those things they were called to do. And he gave them one command, one do not. And that was you can eat whatever you want, but do not eat this fruit from this one tree in the center of the garden. And of course, because they're humans and humans by our very nature often cannot help ourselves, they ate the fruit. They disobeyed God's sin, enters into the world, with it comes brokenness and evil and destruction and death. And so that's where we're at after the fall. But then it gets worse. The fall doesn't end there. No, it keeps getting worse. The wor world keeps becoming more wicked. Cain kills Abel. We now have murder. And the world descends more and more and more into brokenness. So much so that the whole world is wicked. And God kind of wants to hit the reset button. To send a flood to destroy all the evil and bring back what is good. But he chooses Noah to save the world. To save his family. To save two of each animal. And puts them on an ark so that they can be saved. And so all that's evil is destroyed. And what is good remains. But of course, it doesn't take long for more brokenness to enter into the world. And so God has a new plan. A new plan which fulfills through the covenant that God gives to Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, I know you're almost 100 and you have no children but you will have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, even though that's impossible. And I will give you this promised land that your people can live in forever, which we think of as mostly modern-day Israel. And you, your people, will be blessed by me. You'll be holy, set apart, my chosen people. Blessed by me, but not for your own sake, to be a blessing to the whole world, to all people all families. 
course, then we get to Moses. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob, Esau. Jacob changes his name to Israel. His sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph leads those 12 tribes into Egypt because there's famine in the land of Israel. And Egypt, by Joseph's command, has raised up storehouses so that they can be saved. But over time, the Israelites fall into slavery in Egypt. But God rescues them there still. God calls them out of Egypt through Moses. He leads them out of Egypt. He sends the plagues. He parts the Red Sea. And he leads them to and toward the Promised Land. And eventually through Joshua into it as well. But what he does all this through Moses, he also gives Moses a covenant. A covenant we refer to as the Old Covenant. It's the Ten Commandments and the 603 other ones as well. The Old Testament law. And he says, Jewish people, my, my people, the Israelites, if you follow these laws, I will bless you. But if you don't, you will be punished. Now the good news for us is we don't lo- no longer live under the Old Covenant. We live under a new covenant. The covenant of Jesus Christ. And so we are not under this system anymore, but it is important to understand this system to understand Malachi. And so after Moses, the Jewish people fall into this cycle, the cycle of apostasy. This is most centrally seen in the book of Judges. But they turn away from God. And so God raises up an enemy nation. And it's not looking so good for the Israelites. And so they cry out to God for help. And God sends them help in a form of a judge. And he or she saves the Jewish people. And as a result, the Israelites Israelites come back to God and start following his laws and his commands again. But then they turn away and the cycle repeats itself. They turn away from God, but God brings them back anyway. After that, The Jewish people want to decide they want a king. And so they have a king, Saul, and then the next king, David, and the next king, his son, Solomon. But Solomon has a son, Rehoboam, but there's another king, Jeroboam. Somehow Jeroboam and Rehoboam aren't brothers. I thought they were for a while, actually, but they're not brothers. But some of the Jewish people want to follow Jeroboam, and some want to follow Rehoboam. So there's a split in the kingdoms. There's now a northern kingdom, which is referred to as Israel or Samaria, and a southern kingdom referred to as Judah. And of course, they both fall into these seasons where they don't follow God. The northern kingdom, even worse than the southern kingdom, and so Assyria rises up, this enemy nation, and they conquer over the Jewish people in the northern kingdom. And they send them into exile. And they conquer over the southern kingdom too, and they're in charge of it. But they're a little bit better. They have some better kings sometimes, so they aren't sent into exile. But a new kingdom rises up because of the unfaithfulness of some of these Jewish kings, specifically Manasseh. And we have Babylon. And Babylon conquers over the southern kingdom too and sends the Jewish people, all of them now, into exile. They are no longer in the land that was promised to them. God is faithful to them. 
a new kingdom rises up, conquers over Babylon, and this is Persia. And Persia allows the Jewish people to return back home. They're back in the promised land where they belong. But, even though they're in their promised land, it's not their promised land. They're not in charge. Their kings aren't in charge. Persia's in charge. And so through all this context, we finally get to Malachi. We finally get where we've been tracking this whole time to what is happening in the book of Malachi. And although the Jewish people have returned, there's still corruption. They've done some good things. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls. But there's still corruption. And because of this, God disputes Israel. God tells Israel, his people, what they are doing wrong. And this forms much of the book of Malachi. Starts right away, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was Esau not Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob. Let's break this down. God is saying, I love you to his people. But his people don't believe him. They're suspicious of God. They're saying, how have you loved us? You sent us into exile. Sure, you brought us back, but it's still not our land. We're still not in charge. Is this really the covenant you promised, Abraham? They don't understand. But God reminds them right away where they come from. As I said, Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a sons, Jacob and Esau. And Esau was the older brother, so he ought to have received God's blessing. But God chose Jacob and Jacob's people. Isaac blessed Jacob because of God. And so now Jacob, who changed his name to Israel, started the Israelite people. And although they've had ups and downs, God has clearly blessed the Israelites. As for Esau's people, the Edomites, who weren't specifically blessed by God, they faced destruction. God is showing them, I loved you. You're my people. Even if it doesn't always feel like it, you're my people. Gives another dispute. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? Again, the Jewish people being suspicious. In that, you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. And when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not evil? You see, in these Old Testament laws, to help purify the Jewish people, to help them be clean and able to present themselves before God, they had these animal sacrifices that God called them to do. Now, we're not under that covenant because of Jesus. We no longer have to do those things. Jesus was our ultimate sacrifice. And so we can, whenever we want, present ourselves to God. But they needed to do these sacrifices. This was before Jesus, after all. But when they do these sacrifices, 
They don't give their purest animals. They don't give their best animals. No, they give the blind ones, the lame ones, the sick ones. Or to put it differently, the cheapest ones. The ones that had the least value to them. The ones that, in some cases, were pretty worthless. What does that say about their faith in God if they are giving to him what doesn't have value? And more so than just what they sacrifice and what they give to, they are no longer tithing. They are no longer giving the 10% that God has called them to of their income. God has another dispute with them. Idolatry is rampant in these people. And it's rampant because they disobeyed God and they married foreign people. And inherently, that's not wrong. But what is wrong is when they married foreign people and then started worshiping foreign gods as a result. And so they start worshiping the other gods and doing rituals for these other gods and not worshiping the one true God. And as a result of this, they're also being unfaithful to their wives. And divorce is rampant. And divorce at this time in history was bad. If you were a divorced woman in circa 400 BC, it was not good at all. And so God is disputing all these things that the Israelites have done. They're not doing what they are called to do. And yet, God still loves his people. They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. They've been given a thousand chances. They've been forgiven a thousand times. And yet, God still loves and chooses these people. From the days of your fathers, you have turned away from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. But you say, how shall we return? How shall we return? How can we return? We've turned away from you so many times. How can we return to you? But God shows them, just return to me. Stop sinning. Those things that you've been doing, that I'm yelling at you about, that I'm disputing you about, stop it. Stop worshiping other gods. Stop being unfaithful in your marriages. Stop giving the worst of your offerings. And return to me. Start doing the things you ought to do instead. Be faithful. Give 10%. Give the cleanest, purest animals. Love me and not other gods. And if you return to me, I will return to you. I will continue to bless you. Well, God tells his people through his messenger Malachi is to return to him. It's simply to return 
to him. Return to God. And church, he's calling us to the same thing. He's calling us to return to him too. Now, we don't need to in the same way because of the old covenant, but because of the new covenant, because of what Jesus has done for us by entering into the world on Christmas, by dying on the cross, by rising again, we're invited to return to God, to turn back to God so that we can show Jesus' love to others as well. So how do, you, how do you return to God? Well, let's look at the disputes God gave to his people through the prophet Malachi. What was he so mad about? What was he so upset about? Well, he was upset because they weren't being generous in their offerings. He was upset because they weren't tithing. So if you're not doing that, return to God. Be generous, not just with your money, but with your time too and your energy. Volunteer here at Christ Church or elsewhere in the community. Give to people. Buy someone lunch. Hold a door for someone. Be a generous person. Return to God. If you're being, idol- if you're being idolatrous, Return to God. If you're turning away from God by worshiping another God, literally return to God, stop it and return to God. But if you're worshiping at the altar of money or power or fame or popularity or lust or success or Instagram followers or whatever it may be, return to God. Instead of filling that void you feel that you're not enough with all these other things, return to God and know that you are enough because you are a chosen, holy, set-apart child of God. So, stop doing the things God doesn't want you to do. But if you've ever tried to stop sinning before, and I bet many of us have, you probably know that that's a hard thing to do. We're really good at sinning. It's one of the things we're naturally most gifted at. As humans, it is in our nature to continue to sin. And so if we try to just stop sinning, it might work for a little bit. It might be like a New Year's resolution. It's good for a couple weeks, and then it fades away. And so instead of just stopping sinning, do what Malachi calls us to do. Return to God. There's this biblical term, there's this Christian term we use called repentance. Repentance isn't just about confessing your sin or stopping sinning. It's about turning away from it and back to God. So instead of just stop sinning, start being faithful. If you're not doing all you can in your marriage, God is calling us to faithful, strong marriages. Work on your marriage. 
Start doing those things. Spend time with your family. If you're not being generous, start being generous. If you're not loving other people, start loving other people. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in a small group. Get in a Bible study. Start reading scripture on your own. Listen to a podcast. Listen to worship music. Do the things that God wants you to do and return to him. Church, beloved children of God, return to God. Not just for your own sake, but do so for the sake of others as well. We at Christ Church have a mission and a vision. You've probably heard it one million times by now. It's to lift lives, elevate Christ, to be a church for those who aren't here yet. By returning to God, you will be lifting your own life, but you'll be lifting the lives of those around you through your love and your generosity. You'll be elevating Christ by following what he wants you to do, by showing him to others as well, and you will be a church for those who aren't here yet by being a person who loves God's people and showing them the love of Jesus. So church, let us return to God. Let us turn away from our idols, our sins, our brokenness, and let us return to God. Let's pray. Gracious, holy, righteous God, we thank you for the words that you've given us through your prophet Malachi. We thank you that we have the privilege of being able to read them. And God, we know that these are hard words. These are challenging words. These are words where you call us out of our sin and out of our brokenness. But God, help point out to us those sins, those brokenness, the unrighteousness we have in our lives. Help us to see your love for us and help that to inspire us to turn back to you. God, we know we often fall short, but help us to be reminded of the hope we have in Christmas, the hope we have in Jesus Christ, that we can always return to you, and you keep loving us no matter what. God, we love you too. Pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.